Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Happy Sabbath. How are you doing? Are you, are you well? Good, 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 good. Thank you to all those from our church family that uh, participated and led us. It's always such a great thing to be in God's house on God's day right here together. So happy Sabbath to you. We are in week four, this particular Sabbath, of a series entitled Promise. And uh, today we're going to continue on. Last week, we really got into some of the conversations around these banners that is God's call in our lives to be all about friendship making, friendship and reconciliation with him, friendship with one another, and extending that reconciliation and friendship out into the world in which we live, starting as close to home as possible. So as as we do this, we're going to continue on today in our topic, Community, Uh, And as we do, I I think we mentioned last week, if this is your first time here with us, you'll, you'll, you'll pick up on this pretty quickly. The New Testament writers, Paul in particular, uses a little word, a Greek word, one single word, that often is translated one another. Sometimes it's translated each other or others, but one another, this idea of one anothering. All the things we're challenged to be, to do, for and with one another. I want to share just a couple of them with you as we roll on into our study time. The first comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, if you want to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 4, it'll also be on the screen. Verse 8 says this, Above all, love each other. That's that one Greek word that's translated here, each other, deeply. Could be translated one another So love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others or one another, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so I hope you are ready for a little bit of centering on the pages of Scripture as we get into this week's promise. As we do, though, I remind you of a couple of things, and uh, uh, the idea of being hospitable and creating a place for one another. Some of you are aware we are in week three of a sequence of three weeks for what we call our Connections Cafe. About three weeks ago, it started our Smart Start experience, a lot of freshmen coming on campus Um, A lot of guests and families coming on campus, and we had our our first Connections Cafe event in in the uh, Isles Gymnasium where we had a haystack meal, and from there, church members sitting with students invited them home to one of these two Sabbaths, last Sabbath, the 6th, or this Sabbath, the 13th. The group that I am uh, partnering with, our family group, we are having students come this particular Sabbath. So by the way, if you are a Smart Start student, you're a student here, and look, we're, we're, you know, we can expand this to other students probably, who knows. But if you do not have a place yet to go and be at home for lunch, I was talking with some, some uh, young students that I was meeting for the first time, and said, you got lunch taken care of? And what they understood me to be asking is, are you, you, know, are you going to end up being able to eat today? And they said, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, assuming the cafeteria is open. 
That's, oh, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. See, we want to be home for you. And so I, I know some of the people who have been cooking for this particular group, home-cooked meals, my wife absolutely included, and I'm, I'm getting ready. It's almost mean-spirited to be thinking about that right this second. But if you are a student and you have not had the opportunity to find a place this Sabbath, when we're done here, come find me. I'll be wandering around in here saying hello to people. Come talk to me. I know at least two families who can take some more students. So come see me if you would like to go home at somebody's house who's going to have a home-cooked meal for you. Let me know. Just let me know as we continue on in our one another ing I would tell you this too. Uh, next Sabbath, the 20th, in this service is going to be a high day. We'll be dedicating all of our student leaders. Many of them have come back to campus, but they're all over the place right now as our student leaders are putting together the year to come, all the plans, all the training, everything they're getting ready for, and we're going to have them all here next Sabbath to dedicate them as leaders. You are not going to want to miss that. You'll be here, and then you'll notice it in our bulletin. If you haven't gotten one, you want to grab one. In our bulletin, there's a section that talks about off. Okay, so what is off? Outdoor family fellowship. One more way to be at home with one another. It's going to be at a park. You can find all the details on the 20th, next Sabbath. It'll be there uh, between 3 and 7 o'clock. Families, you bring some sandwiches. Maybe bring a few extra sandwiches because we're inviting students to come with us too. Uh, It's going to be a great time outdoors as we continue our journey as a community together. So as we think about what it means to listen to God's call in our lives that we be something special for one another, I invite you to Colossians chapter 3, one more little cluster of verses. Colossians 3 verse 12 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Pastor Carol was referring to this in our children's story. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Put on kindness. Robe yourself in humility, gentleness, patience, and bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect Unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word Or indeed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, the God, the Father, through him. So today, we dig a little deeper in our promise series, Community. Would you pray, Lord God, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for the invitation to this place to come together to worship you. Father, we pray that you would not leave us just as we entered this place, that you would do something in us, change us, move us. As you call us to be your hands, your feet, your body, the body of Christ. Would you motivate us, shift us in just the way you need to today. In Jesus' name we ask it.
Amen. And amen. Uh, if you have read the New Testament, the book of Acts, you know that amazing things happened. So Jesus Christ had been on this earth. People had wandered after him. There were tepid responses. There were violent responses. There was uh, actual devotion to him, but there was a lot of confusion because he goes to the cross and he dies. And people are sure this whole thing has blown up into a crazy set of circumstances that isn't going to add up to anything. And then, and then... Jesus rises from the dead, and it's a whole new, whole new game. He ascends to heaven, and believers have seen him, and they're on fire for him, but they don't know quite what to do. But over a short period of time, through the pages of the book of Acts, there is an explosion of what is to be the church of Jesus Christ in the apostolic age, in that new church unfolding there in Jerusalem, it is probably best typified by the word growth. Maybe you, you haven't pieced all this together. Some of you know it well. I'd like to guide you through a few pages of the book of Acts and consider what it is that's going on. Acts chapter 1 says it this way, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. This is before Pentecost, and so Peter is there working with those who are believers in the risen Jesus Christ, and there are about 150 of them, fewer than are scattered through this auditorium right now, maybe even fewer than are watching online right now. They are believers in Jesus, but it's a decently small group. Some of you have been participants in a local church that's smaller than this group, but it's Modest, for sure. But a few days are going to go by, and at the feasts that are coming, the pilgrimage of people into Jerusalem, something's going to happen. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the day of Pentecost, right? So you have, at the very least then, 3,150, and maybe there are more in the days between that... Acts chapter 115 verse and Acts chapter 2 that occur, but already it's a megachurch, right? Already it's blown up into something pretty amazing and, uh, and massive. And then in verse 47 it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we don't know exactly how this went. If it's just by simple ones, then over the course of a year, their calendar added 360 days in it, 360 more in a year. That's Real growth, 10% that particular year, one would think. But it's, it's much bigger than that. In chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about, what? 5,000. Now, if you understand how these dynamics work and that they would count men in the group, one might actually easily put together that the total number, once you add women and children, would easily add another 10,000 so that you're probably in the 15,000 plus or minus number of followers of Jesus Christ. Crazy how explosive this growth was. It goes on in the book of Acts to describe this in certain kinds of terms in the 14th verse of chapter 5 said, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. In the 28th verse of that same chapter, complaining about what was going on with the Christian proselytization of Hebrew Jews, 
they would say that you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. This is bubbling up. How many would you expect would live in a city like Jerusalem at that time? Well, scholars say it was between 200 and 250,000 people in Jerusalem. So now we're getting to a pretty substantial number of people, and in fact, in the next chapter, there is a descriptional twist to the story because people were added daily. No, not by the time you get to the sixth chapter. Now, in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, seven verses later, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, like that wasn't already rapid. And by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, some years later, it would be described this way. How many thousands of Jews have believed? Some of your translations might say, how many tens of thousands? Because, in fact, it's not a numerical value that the Greek word that is used to be translated thousands there is the word myrios, which is the same word we take as myriad, a myriad of, which is, do you, how, many, how many is a myriad? Anybody know? Yeah, nobody knows. <laughs> it's lots. In fact, there's a suggestion that it's an uncountable number. And it's just, I mean, you know, so many. Scholars actually suggest that by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, the group of the church in Jerusalem, the believers in Jerusalem, had grown as big as 100 to 120,000 people. Half of Jerusalem. Lowest estimates, about 60,000. Which, of course, would be at least a quarter of Jerusalem. And so this growth is amazing and uh, crazy and something like you and I have not seen. And one has to wonder about it a little bit. Now, I do know there are churches that actually, not only is it that they do not want to grow, they want to not grow. I hope that's not your mentality here. We are followers of the great commission of Jesus Christ that we would go and preach the gospel to the whole world, that we would be a city on a hill, a light that is not hidden, that others would be attracted to the character and the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. And that our communities would be changed, that we would be, just like Jesus, drawing others to him. But it's a little bit crazy, this kind of growth. And one has to wonder, is there any kind of method amidst all this madness? And just to review, it starts out with a group of about 120 individuals and over a span of just a few days, 3,000 more come to the faith. And then they would describe it as about 15,000. And by the time we get to the end of this little book, 100,000 individuals, it is explosive. And one wonders if there's anything we could learn, whether we would explode in that same sort of way, whether we would exactly want to in that same sort of way or not. The question comes, is there anything in it Is there any description of how this happened that we might do well to pay attention to? And I think there is. I think there is. This same book of Acts describes how the communication of the gospel was taken on. 
Check it out here in the fifth chapter of Acts, verse 42. It says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. And you might read that and think that that's kind of one, it's a description that all is one description, but we probably ought to pause and scholars would say, no, 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 careful now, that's two different things, two parts, a two-part method to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. There was the gathering in the temple courts and additionally, other than that, there was the gathering from house to house. Every once in a while we get in these kind of conversations, at least I've, I've heard us do so. Maybe it's a group of pastors talking, whether it's even a healthy or a good thing at all, to have a large church like this one or some other one. And often it sounds a little bit like we're complaining about someone else when we talk that way. But I think there might be a good point in it. If, in fact, our gathering for worship is the sum of everything that we are and we are just the coming to the temple courts, then there could be a problem. But don't miss it that there is this piece of gathering day after day. They're gathering in these two different ways. And one of them is in the temple courts. Now, you, you wonder about the temple courts. By the way, this implies the, plural, the plurality of that word courts, and it's true. There were multiple areas in the court. You could have different groups. You would not necessarily have to have everybody doing the exact same thing. I think it's fascinating and, and wonderful. We have four different worship services, and a couple of them meet at the exact same time as other ones. Yeah, the temple courts, all coming together. It is, it is thought that they could, have, they could have handled at least 50,000 people in the temple courts at a time standing. So multiple groupings, multiple places, but all in the temple courts. And it would have been chaos for everybody to be talking and thinking that there was this kind of uh, sharing all over the place. No, it would, be, it would be structured, it would be put together in a certain sort of way, and the apostles would be teaching. But the second part of it, from house to house. Now, there might be somebody who is He's got a big house, and you might have a big house where you could have a, quite a number, 30 people over to your house, maybe 50 over to your house, but, but not 50,000, not 100,000. In fact, and we'll see it repeatedly through Scripture, there is this evidence that a part of God's plan involves these two parts of larger corporate worship and smaller group fellowship, and the two are not the same. Anybody here a, a, a pathfinder? Do we have any pathfinders in the room? All right, I'm seeing some, uh, just as many adult hands as I am seeing children's hands. But, you know, there's a mix. Any good pathfinder knows that there is a difference between every Wednesday evening as we come together at Pathfinders and then the Pathfinder Camporee that's coming up in 2024 in Gillette, Wyoming. Two different things entirely. 
But to be at a Pathfinder camporee where everybody is together and, you know, probably all well uniformed and a drum corps is over there and an honor is being taught over there and there is an evening program and all of our voices rise together, there is something motivating and big about that. But you could never have Pathfinders just be the camporee. Because it's all about teaching and training and community building and, 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 and. Probably a good metaphor for what the church is intended to be. If, I, I just want to say it to you, I believe what we're doing here right now is important. But let's be clear. What we're doing here right now in corporate worship can never be your entire experience with Jesus. It can't. It is the partnership of coming together. Do you know, as you read through Scripture, all of these things we are to do for one another, be patient with one another, pray for one another, lift one another's burdens, on and on and on, be humble with one another, teach one another, listen to one another. Probably the greatest single strategy to throw all of the one another statements into the trash would be to have an event where you got everybody to sit in straight rows. That works for certain things, but there is a lot we are called to be and to do that cannot possibly happen in this arrangement. The great news is this arrangement is only one part. I'm gonna be honest with you, because I fear about us culturally that we, many of us, we have gotten into, I think, very healthy and good habits that include us coming to worship on a Sabbath day, but could be dying inside, spiritually, because we are not connected to the body. I hear it described this way every once in a while. Somebody will say, I come to church and I can make my way in and I sit by myself and nobody says anything to me and I make my way out and nobody says anything to me and I, I'm dying inside. And somebody else says, yeah, well that's because the church is too big. I'm going to suggest to you it's because large group worship cannot be small group fellowship. And you need both of those two things. So my challenge to you is that you not leave this place unmoved with regard to your and other people's spiritual health with regard to small group fellowship. That I, I'm, I'm hoping we say something, we talk about something, we read a scripture that bothers you because you or I are disengaged enough that now we're a little bit agitated. That's my prayer, is that you will be, you will be bothered if you're not connected up with his body in a meaningful way in small group fellowship. Now, we use the terminology small group and small group fellowship, and it might make it on a list of small groups, but there are, there are a variety of things that could apply to this that may or may not make it on a list, but you know when you're disconnected and you've decided to maintain a busyness that keeps you separate from the body of Christ. And we're just, on occasion, Sabbath visitors to the body. So I'm gonna ask you to begin praying right now about what God is saying to you.
I'm going to make a specific invitation before we're done. One or two of them. And I'd like you to be a little agitated by it, <laughs> to just be honest. And maybe moved by God. In fact, I think it's appropriate. I'm going to ask you to bow your head right now. We're going to pray about these next few minutes. Lord God, a fair number of us came here <clears throat> to hear something interesting, but not to be asked for anything. Thank you for being a God who comes and asks for everything. And in the simple trade of giving you our all, we gain all. So for the resurrected Jesus who is in this room right now, we invite you to call deeply into our hearts, away from our slumber or our inactivity or our passivity, Forgive us for the moments we thought, you know, our best gift is to go somewhere, sit down and be quiet a bit. And that's it. Call us to your way, please, over these next moments. Amen. And so, here we have this confirmed process. We, you're going to think I'm reading from the exact same verse. It's not. This is earlier in chapter 2 of Acts. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In fact, you know, Pentecost happened because it was a pilgrimage festival that they were coming to. All Hebrew men at some point would try to make it to Jerusalem, to the temple courts for Shavat. And Shavat, which became Pentecost, uh, was this high time. So thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands would gather together at this high day. But what you need to understand, and if you read the Old Testament, you'll start to go, oh yeah, what, not interesting, because so many of these big high festivals and important times where all of God's people would gather together also describe that the stuff they would eat. And you know what? When they were out in the wilderness, they were not eating surrounding the tabernacle. They were eating with groupings back in their tents. And when in Jerusalem they came in for Shavat and met in the temple courts, maybe a hundred thousand at a time, they would go back and eat together in small groups. So there was the large group gathering and there were the small group gathering, the worship and the fellowship in fact, Shavat became known for what they would eat that were specific around dairy. I know, some of us are not uh, doing dairy, but uh, they were. Some uh, devout Jews continue to, and it all spun from the teaching, the idea that God's word is like milk and honey. And so they had special things that would, would be made specifically for Shabbat. And in fact, over time it developed that in their homes, they would stay up all night long on Shabbat. Themselves, family members, and friends gathered in their home, and they would read, check this out, they would read the first and the last verse of every book of the Old Testament. And all of the book of Ruth and discuss the possible meaning with each other. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not a new thing in the apostolic church. This is something that spreads out through the Old Testament.
The idea of being called together for large corporate worship and then being called to the table in small group fellowship where children were taught from the earliest days, sometimes simply by watching their parents and their friends stay up all night discussing the book of Ruth. This explodes into the Pentecost. I want to suggest to you that, and, and we could shift this, we could do this otherwise, we could actually say, okay, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you five great reasons why we should come together to worship corporately, even in large groups like this. That's not what we're going to do today. What we're going to do is the opposite end of that twosome. We're going to think about five big reasons, five big reasons why you and I should be engaged in small group community. Before we're done, I'm going to let you know exactly how you can get involved in certain sorts of ways. Some of you have creative other ways, that's fine, but I don't want you to move from this room without knowing there is an invitation for you to be an important part of the body of Christ. And that's, in fact, our first point, that small group fellowship allows us to connect to the body of Christ. This metaphor that's found a number of places in Scripture, usually at the writings of Paul, is meant to say to us, by ourselves and alone, as Ecclesiastes would say, I've never seen anything more foolish than a guy out there in a field working alone. Dumb. Maybe you're not allowed to say dumb in your, in your, in your, in your house. Stupid was the word that I couldn't, we couldn't say. But Ecclesiastes is saying, I've never seen anything more ridiculous than a person going it alone. Could there be a more ridiculous way to be a follower of Christ than to be a wandering finger, a disembodied leg, even an eye sitting on a counter? Yeah, it's grotesque to say nothing of ineffective, unhelpful, and Boy, the eye is not in great shape. The rest of the body is without an eye, and the community who's supposed to see Christ only sees a monster. You and I are called to be a body together, and you know we could break this way down beyond just an eye and, an, and a leg. A body is a body on a cellular level. And often when things go wrong in the body, it goes wrong cell by cell. 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing about this, and he is so, I'm guessing he's so sure we're going to miss it that he says nearly the same time, multiple times over, check it out, in the 12th verse of chapter 12. So, so the body is a unit. Oh, oh, okay, well that's, duh. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, although its parts are many, they form one body. Already said it twice in that one verse. But he's going to go on two verses later and say, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 20, and it is there, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. You get a sense he thinks he's talking to somebody who's a little slow. And maybe he is. A few verses later, now you, and this is the, the tense, you, this is the, the, the grouping, you all, plural. 
You all are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, as if to say, it takes all for it to be a body. You, just as one part, are not the body of Christ. Whoa. It requires the stitching together that comes by the grace of Jesus Christ. It requires that there is a one another for this New Testament to make much sense at all. And I want to say to you, if you find it decently easy to wander into this sanctuary on a Sabbath day, maybe hear something that's interesting or compelling or at least points you to Scripture, hopefully leads you to Jesus, but it is a lonesome experience because you walk out of here alone, I get it. This is not capable of fixing that without you deciding it's worth engaging, worth engaging in small group fellowship. And yes, some of them will happen spaced around this room in our, from children on up in terms of Sabbath school groups, but some of those Sabbath school groups are not small group community. Some of them are. Some of them are more a classroom study. I will tell you, though, I was blown away when I first came here. I was the first funeral I was asked to conduct for a woman who I believe was in her 80s. I don't know for certain, but here's what it felt like to me. What it felt like to me is that every single member of her Sabbath school group came to her funeral. And I heard more and more and more about how they had been caring for her by meals and prayer and a word and a phone call and a something that matters. You know what? I think actually, if all we do is come here to a big corporate worship, we might expect a certain measure of loneliness. What we need is the opportunity to sit with one another face to face, to be stitched together as the body of Christ. The truth is, too, I, you know, you may, you may sometimes complain about a preacher, and maybe you thank the preacher, but here's the truth of it. In smaller groupings, you can understand Scripture better. This is not a one or the other. This is a one and the other. Truth is, you get to talk when you're in a small group situation. You get to try out, test out your ideas. And maybe there is something that the, that, the, that the sermon brings to light that can't possibly even be answered or addressed that is down a whole different direction and you need to be able to discuss. By the way, sometimes we just need some time to think about it and talk about it for it to make any kind of sense to us. Some of us are auditory learners. We learn by listening. The truth is the science shows that if you understand and retain 10% of what you hear through the course of a Short, short period of time. If, if by next week there were t somebody here could remember 10% of what I am talking about now, they would be extraordinary. But at the moment you get to put it in your own words, you get to write a note for yourself. That's why we give out journals and ask you, hey, take some notes. It changes things. When you get to ask your questions, when you get to put forward your own connections. I love this from the Message Bible. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and it's talking a lot about um, speaking in tongues and, and chaos, and it's a little bit what would happen if we decide, okay, everybody today, you're all the preacher. Go. It would be absolute chaos in here, right? Not so when you're meeting also home to home. Check out these, I think, compelling words. Take your turn. No one person taking over. By design, what we're doing here involves one person taking over. And it's the way it can work. But home to home, to look out for and to hear from and to involve each, then each speaker gets a chance to say something special from God and you all learn from one another. You see, the companionship of these two things is is extremely important. And I will say to you this too, and you're going to hear about it here a little bit more in a couple of minutes. What we've decided to do is really throw a lot of our energy into a certain idea because we have a number of small group opportunities and possibilities, and I'm going to make those some of those plain to you, but others of them I might not even know about, and we're just calling you in. But one of the things we've decided to do is really push our way into what we call sermon-based small groups, called deeper dive small groups. And in these deeper dive small groups, what we do is, after the sermon is over, uh, an individual, Tim Cross, our group life pastor, is putting together questions and dialogue and some other scriptures so that you could have given to you, handed to you by email, boom, here is a small group set of discussion questions based on the sermon. So it's easier in terms of preparation, and it can be more familiar and tie these two, the large group worship and the small group fellowship, together. So that you don't just hear someone who, yes, I've gotten to study over this, and I'm thinking carefully about what I would share, but you also get to participate fully. These two things coming together. The third thing I want to mention It is nearly impossible to pray meaningfully for the people even in your row, let alone in this room. And so we kneel and pray, and we typically, and I think there are extraordinarily meaningful prayers, but they have to be a certain level of generic to meet everybody all in one shot. Not so home to home. Some of you, I know things you are going through that would be wildly inappropriate for me to pray about publicly, but in the right small group setting, it might be the exact thing you need to hear your burden lifted. You deserve to be prayed for meaningfully and to pray meaningfully as well. This passage... You know it, Matthew 18, it says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. There is something powerful when we partner in prayer. And for where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. One of the compelling things scripture asks us to do is to carry one another's burdens. We talked about it last Sabbath in Mark chapter 2. The paralytic individual had no shot, no hope, except that he had a small group. And four guys 
carry him, carve through the roof, lower him in front of Jesus. We never know, we never know what event is going to paralyze us and we would need four others. We would need somebody else to carry us. But it is a difficult thing in here to expect what could be had in that home-to-home experience. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We can talk a lot about fulfilling the law. I think it's a fascinating thing that Paul would choose to sum it up this way. You want to talk about fulfilling the the law? Put your shoulder up under somebody else's burden. I think there are plenty of us who would if we only knew. You know how you can know? Some of us think, well, I shouldn't do for anybody what I can't do for everybody. I want to say you are absolutely backwards, if that's your thought. You and I should be doing for someone what we wish could be done for everyone, and that's our fastest way to everyone. And so find a collection, a small group. This is what you ought to do. This is what you deserve to have. And finally, fantastically, amazingly, small groups are a better way, a better avenue, a better uh, environment in which you and I get to practice what it means to be a citizen of heaven. We all know, you can come in and out of here, you just got to dress right, possibly give an offering, sing or act like it at just the right time. That's pretty much it. But to sit with a group of people and to know that they've got a relative that's dying and they can't get there because they don't have the funding for it and you can't help yourself. But participate. Because God calls our selfishness out into the light and invites us into a place that's easier to be selfless when we're involved in a small group of individuals. These few things, Romans says it this way, each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up for even Christ did not please himself. And in the midst of this kind of community, we have the opportunity to practice what it means to be a follower of Christ. So I'm gonna ask some specific stuff. I know our praise team's wondering what's the moment. This is the moment. This is the moment. I have a handful of these little cards with me if you wanted one. Hey, look, here's what I'm, I'm gonna make a, a direct, absolute appeal to you. In just a second, I'm gonna put on the, on the screen a slide that has Tim Cross's name. He's our pastor of Group Life. It includes his email address and his phone number. And I'm gonna tell you two things that I'm praying for. Number one, some of us are living dangerously by walking alone. And we deserve to be included in a small group. And I want you to have that opportunity. And so these deeper dive uh, little cards tell you a little bit more about it, but you don't need to know much. And by the way, as I show you this screen, somebody here might say, well, but did I understand correctly there are some women's ministries small groups? Yes, you did. Glad you asked. And some of them would be able to take more individuals. So you could could say to Pastor Tim, hey, look, I'm I'm looking for uh, an opportunity to engage in one of the women's ministry small groups. Or you might say, I understand there are a bunch of men's ministry small groups. Yes, yes, yes. Or you might say, hey, is there any kind of group like this? 
Just be prepared because he might come back and say, we don't have that yet. Will you at least join me in praying for it? Do you know other people that wish that they had this kind of small group? What do you think about helping me? Just pray about it for a while. I don't want to scare you. But ask God if he is inviting you to step out because you feel this need. But I'll tell you this, we have small groups right now ready for you to participate in and our deeper dive small groups that partner with what's going on in our sanctuary services, the teachings that we have. One of the things that we do is we build them in little short little cycles so you could try it for a short little bit. We have ones that you could join in and just taste that will be done on the 27th, two more Sabbaths from now. They'll be done in the weeks just right, right around that. We have another cycle that's coming up. We call them excursions. One's coming up September 10 and we'll go till, no, till October 1. See, they're pretty short. Where groups of people are coming together, sometimes around a meal, sometimes in a space in the church during the middle of the week. We've got one that meets at 6 o'clock on Wednesday mornings. There are things that are going on. You may not know about it. You deserve to be connected to the body of Christ, I implore you, I, I just plead with you that you would consider, some of us are thinking, well, but I don't have time. I want to suggest to you, you don't have time not to. You don't have time not to be prayed for. You don't have time to not be known. You don't have time to not be able to share your own perspective on things and to walk with Jesus, with someone else at the same time. You don't have time. You don't have the time to be disconnected. You think you don't have time right now, try amputating a leg. You deserve to be connected. And then I wanna make this specific request. We have been praying over our need for small group leaders. And I am praying that God will give us from this morning service and this service at least five. That's not outlandish, is it? Is that crazy in a group like this? Five, just five people who would say, you know what? I've got some bandwidth. I, I, I'd love to meet for an hour with a group of people. I'd love to open our home. I'd, do you have a place at the church? I, I'd love to. And you might be wondering, well, but then what does it take? Here are three things I think it takes for you to actually host or lead one of these groups. Here's all it takes. And by the way, students, you can do this too. You can be a group leader of a small group that would be a deeper dive group with a bunch of other students. Even better yet, a combination of students and some of us older people who could really use your energy the same way you could use our cooking. Partner together, grow together. Here are the three things you need. Number one, you have to need a spirit of hospitality a willingness to take care of people, to be able to see the one who feels a little left out, the one who hasn't gotten to say anything right yet. Maybe that comes in the form of an open home. Maybe it comes in the form of some food. Sure, sometimes it comes in the form of a, a smile and looking a person in the eye, a hand on the shoulder, and I will not leave you behind. A spirit of hospitality. That's ingredient important number one. Important number two is that they are a person, that you are a person who can see certain connections. One of them is that you're actually willing and able to connect with our church process so that you could be receiving the deeper dive lessons. That's a little networking connection piece and some people can't do it. But in addition, it may well be, of course there could be some others looking for a group, but 
but it may be that we need you to be the one who would say, yeah, I've got four friends. I got three couples that I'd like to invite to be involved with us. Whatever that is, that you would be willing to network and ask and invite. And then finally this, it's not a small thing, that you would help us be a scout. For what? For other people who could be leading a small group situation. Some of you will go, yeah, but I, wouldn't, I, I feel weird asking them. Just tell me. I'll ask them. I'd be happy to walk up and say, hey, Paul, you were mentioned. It's somebody who might be good at this. You ever consider helping lead a small group? It's, it's really the same question. Have you ever considered helping make a little bit of time available that might mean eternal life for somebody, you included? You, you ever considered changing everything for a small group of people? Yeah, I, I wondered because I was looking at you and I was thinking, you could make our large group worship service so much better if you would lead a small group, if you'd participate in a small group, if you would stitch together what are dismembered body parts around the room. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, both. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And they went from a group that was dashed and hopeless to a group that had seen the risen Jesus Christ and was waiting for the spirit he promised. And it exploded because they took seriously the call of Christ to be his body, coming together for corporate worship, going home by home together in fellowship. Lord God, Thank you for seeing us, for knowing us. I thank you that we had the opportunity to gather here all together to look through your word, to consider what you have done and to think about what you might be calling us to. And Lord, I pray, I pray that you would startle, disturb and agitate some of us who have grown so comfortable we are actually just sliding our way to spiritual death. Would you please, would you please shake us? out of sleep. Somebody here needs to just fire off a quick email that says, I don't even know quite what I'm asking for, but I don't really have community right now, and I know I need it. What are your recommendations? Lord God, I pray right now. It doesn't take much. All of the information will be handed to us. We can find a location if home isn't good. But we need just a few. Right now we're just asking, Lord, for five. Five leaders who would step up and say, this matters, and I'm willing. And somebody here might even say, I, I, I'm willing, I just don't think I know what to do. Oh, that'll be enough we can work with. So Lord God, move us, use us, thank you for making us a community together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we praise your name.